I am really excited to wrap up our series on um, Grow Up, not because I'm glad to be done with the book of James. It's been a wonderful journey. It's been very interesting and eye-opening for me, and I hope that some of the lessons that God has dealt with me about have come through to some of you. I hope that it's been a good experience and that you'll not see this as the end of your journey through James, but that some of you will go back and look at it again and again and again, looking for that different perspective that comes through Scripture. I believe that the Bible is a living, breathing book that it is constantly alive with new content, with new lessons to teach us, and new experiences for us to have. And as we have experiences, I think the Bible teaches us even more because sometimes we don't know what to do with a certain passage until we've been through something that makes it that much more applicable in our lives. So as you go through your life and you look back to James from time to time, I hope that it has new lessons to teach you. And we will be kind of wrapping it up today. We're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. If some of you want to begin turning there, you're welcome to do that or turn in your devices, whatever you want to do so that you can follow along. Before we get there, let me just very quickly say, I know some of you are, are kind of waiting to see what we're going to be doing going forward. This is the last week that we had said officially we'd be closed, that we would not do in-person services. Um, we are still determining that decision going forward. I have some thoughts in my head. I want to spend some time um, kind of polling our, our leadership and getting their thoughts. Of course, we're all anxious to see what Governor Whitmer is going to say. Um, who knows when, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, maybe she'll wait until Tuesday, we don't know. So just watch this week on Facebook, on YouTube, um, on all of those avenues that we normally use. Um, email, we'll probably send out an email, put a message on the church answering machine, whatever we have to do to let you know what we'll be doing next week. It is my desire to start meeting again in person, at least through the Christmas season. That's what I would love to do. I just want to make sure that if we do that, that we do it with um, the right motives, that we are being compassionate to those around us who maybe are more at risk to COVID than we are, and that we are also being respectful of those leaders that are doing their best to lead our state in, right, in the right direction. So um, let's continue to do the, the good work of, of helping us get through this, this uh, difficult time. All right, let's jump right into James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. This is the very last section in the book of James, and we're going to read it right up to the end. Let's read it together. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you, if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I hope all of you know a righteous person who prays for you. We have several of them that attend church here. I won't mention any names because they'll be embarrassed. But we have several in this church that pray for us. And, and some of us that, that do ministry on Sunday mornings, we know who to call when we're having a bad day. And they jump right in. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death 
and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Friends, I'm here to tell you today that um, as we wrap up James, it has been an incredible journey in, in learning how we grow up in our faith. And I hope that you can kind of see as we cap this whole thing off that James returns to kind of two of the themes that he believes are most important. And we kind of get a clue as he ends the book as to what his whole goal of writing this book in the first place may have been. Let's kind of take a look. He starts out by talking to, those, to, to three different groups of people. Two specifically that describe most of the experiences of our lives. The first thing that he says is, are any of you suffering hardship? Can I just get a hand raise if any of you feel like you've been suffering some hardship in 2020? I think probably this is one of those years that will go down in history as being one of the most hardship-filled years of all. Now, I love the fact that on Facebook and on some of the social media I've been seeing, some of the people are starting to say things like, hey, 2020 hasn't been all bad. Here's something good that happened in 2020. This awesome thing happened to me in 2020. Let's not write 2020 off completely because 2020 was really good for this reason and that reason and that reason. I think all of us have experienced some kind of blessing in 20. 20. At least I hope you have. I got a new grandbaby, so I'm, I'm a happy guy. Now, you know, that grandbaby throws up on me every time I hold him, so that's not the greatest, but I'll take baby puke any day as long as I don't have to clean it up. But, so, so if the baby pukes on me, I just say, hey, mom, come get him because, you know, mess needs cleaned up. Grandparents don't do messes. Amen? All you grandparents out there, the baby, you know, needs a new diaper. We call mom and dad. It's a great setup. I love this system. I wish I'd have done this first. Uh, anyway, so some good things have happened in 2020, but 2020 has been hard too. I mean, we had COVID kind of starting out at the beginning of the year, which kind of just shed a weird light all over the whole year. And then after COVID, what was it? It was the murder hornets. You remember the murder hornets? We kind of forgot about the murder hornets. They're still out there somewhere, although they killed a bunch of them or something or froze them. I don't even know what they did. And then we had fires out in California, and I believe there's just another one that has just started burning again. We've had all these wildfires happening and, and taking place. There's just been so many weird things going on. And then with the political climate this year, I don't ever remember a time when our nation was divided so heavily based on an election. There was so much difficulty and uncertainty about what the future is going to hold from a political standpoint and from a socioeconomic standpoint as we look at the impact of COVID and the political system and the world markets and all of those things that are happening. It has been a year filled with hardships. And even if none of that has phased you, every single one of us experiences hardships almost every day. And if not every day, every week or every month. For you, it may be something small. Our hardships are different and we experience different things that get us down. For some, it might be just an a relationship that kind of went awry that may be ended or, or changed in some significant way, and you don't know why. It's, it's difficult when sometimes our friends distance themselves from us, and, and we don't understand necessarily why that's happening. Maybe for some of you, it, it's been a sickness or an illness, maybe not even related to COVID, but something else that came up that, that you just didn't see coming. Maybe for some, it's been some financial situation or, or hardship, or maybe for you, it's just been as simple as, man, it's, it's tough not being able to get out of the house and see the people that you love and that you miss. I got to be honest with you, yesterday here at the church, we have something called a cheer sister party. Our ladies ministry does this, and, and the ladies all get together and find out who their cheer sisters were for the year. It's a kind of a secret thing. 
and uh, yesterday they did it via Zoom, and I was listening from the, the dining room that my wife and, and Jayla were on the Zoom meeting, and man, those ladies were chattering away. It just sounded like everybody was so happy to see each other's faces. It was a wonderful thing, and maybe for some of you that hardship is just not being able to see those faces that you want to see. Maybe for some of you, the hardship like me is opening up that last wall for the last bathroom you're going to remodel and finding out that all the wood is gone. Yes, that happened this week. Whatever your hardship looks like, James gives us the answer to getting through that. And he says simply, you should pray. Well, thanks, James, for that wrapped in a box Christmas present kind of answer. So if I have hardships in my life, I just pray in the magic bullet of prayer makes my hardships all go away. Is that how it's supposed to work? Well, I don't think that's what James is trying to say. I think that there's an understood, that there's a property here that, that he doesn't feel like he needs to go into, but that we need to recognize, and that is this. Prayer is not a silver bullet to make your life easy. Can I just say that again? Prayer is not a silver bullet to make all of your problems and hardships and everything else simply go away. And let me take that one step further. Christianity is not a silver bullet or a weapon that you can use to, to overcome and defeat everything about your life that you don't like, including the people in your life. I, I have heard over the past few weeks some people using prayer specifically to target people they disagree with and to pray things that no person ought to pray about another person. You know, God is not going to shut your enemies up. Can I just say that out loud, all right? I've seen some people on Facebook playing, Lord, in, in heaven, in Jesus' name, make that person stop talking. I got news for you. God loves you too much to shut you up. He loves every single one of us too much to overthrow our free will. He doesn't do that kind of thing. Religion, faith, and especially prayer is not a silver bullet so that you can pray and get the life you've always wanted by, by God clearing the way of all the hardships in your life. Let me tell you what I believe James means by this and what I believe I've seen in my own life and experience. When we pray, God brings our lives and our hearts and our minds into alignment with his heart and with his mind and with his hopes for our future. Prayer changes me more than it changes anything else. I don't believe that, that we should pray because we want to somehow convince God or, or con God into doing what we want. I don't think that's what it's all about. And I hear debates about this all the time. How do you make sure your prayers are going to get answered? Doesn't the Bible promise that if we ask just the right way, God has to give us what we want? Friends, those who argue those points are missing the point. Prayer is not so that we can manipulate God into doing what we want. Prayer is so that we can come into alignment with what God already has in store for our lives. It is as much about changing us as it is about changing our circumstances. I don't believe James is trying to tell us that if you're suffering hardship, you pray and your hardships go away. Because I believe God has a greater purpose than that in mind. Because it is through the hardships that we go through in life that he teaches us the best lessons. That he teaches us how to rely on him and how to depend on him and how great life can be. Now, make no mistake about it. The hardships we endure are not because of God. It is because of sin being present in our world that we experience the hardships that we do. 
God's plan was the Garden of Eden. And if you look back and see the history, the Garden of Eden was the most hardship-free place you'll ever find. That was God's plan. But because there is sin in the world, we experience difficulty and trouble. And when we pray, our hearts and our minds are drawn into line with God and His plan. And we begin to see the plan in the heart of God. And He walks through us or with us through the hardships that we experience. And so James can say with certainty, if you're suffering hardship, you should simply pray because pray will allow you to come into alignment with what God is trying to accomplish in your life. And he will lead you through the hardships. Let me tell you something. There are some things in my life that I have gone through that I never would wish on my worst enemy. But after those things were all said and done, I would not trade those experiences for the world. Because they taught me some of the best lessons I will ever learn about life. And those are lessons that I can now pass on to those that that I talk to and and the, the kids that I've raised and the grandkids that I will hopefully continue to get, right? More is better when it comes to grandkids. Those are experiences I wouldn't trade for anything. So if you're going through something hard today, I want you to know that you should pray. Not so that your hardships will all just simply vanish, but so that you can learn the lessons that God wants you to learn and come to know things and come into alignment with his will for your life and his plan. The second thing he says is, are any of you happy? So you're either going through hardships or you're happy. That pretty much describes all of us, doesn't it? You know, have you ever, have you ever encountered a person who seems to be happy all the time for no good reason? You ever, you ever run into anybody like that? They're, aren't they annoying? They're just irritating people, aren't they? You're like, why are you so happy all the time? You just want to say something or do something to kind of trip them up a little bit and see if they just stay happy all the time. Not really, I'm just teasing. But there are people who seem to be happy all the time or, or happier at least than I am. I tend to be a curmudgeon these days. I don't know what that even is, but I've seen the word and I kind of like it. Curmudgeon. Say it with me. It's fun to say. Curmudgeon. Say it out loud. If the person on the couch next to you didn't say it out loud, give them the elbow and say it again. Curmudgeon, right? It just, I feel like as I get older, I get grumpier. But, but you're either happy or you're sad or you're going through hardships. And if you're happy, he says that you should sing praises. Now, again, just quickly, I believe that this is the same as prayer. I think singing praises to God is just the upside of prayer. Maybe when you're going through those hardships, you're just deep crying out to God in the grief and the struggle that you're in. But when everything is going well and you're happy about life, then you sing praises to God, which is another form of prayer in my opinion. It's just your way of celebrating with God and to Him what He's done in your life. So if you're happy, you should sing praises. And then he kind of zeroes in on a third group of people. He said, are any of you sick? Now, Again, this is hardship, but he zeroes in specifically on this particular form of hardship for good reason. He says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. So if we're sick, we should call the elders. And and again, he talks about doing this in the community of faith. And this is one of the things that I love about the church. And one of the things I love specifically about the church of God and about our fellowship here in this place, we still believe that this is what God asked us to do. And when someone is sick in our fellowship, a lot of times they will ask to come forward and be anointed. And, and we actually have, I'm going to move here a minute and throw the cameras off. We actually have right here on the altar, every single Sunday it's sitting there, unless somebody steals it. There have been a few times where kids wondered what this was and ran off with it, and I went to anoint somebody and it was gone. How embarrassing is that, right? But we have these little vials of oil that float around the church here. 
And we have them on our altar rails. And if someone needs anointing, we have them come forward. We gather around them as, as elders in the church. We lay hands on them and we pray for them. And let me tell you something. If you've never been prayed for in that way, there is something really special about that. For the family of God to come around you and identify with what you're going through and lay their hands on you in physical touch. And again, right now that's a tough thing to do, but we still do it. Physical touch, it makes a difference. And as we pray for the sick, we have the confidence that the prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. And then he clarifies very specifically, the Lord will make you well. Now we got to be careful here. Because we as human beings have a tendency to look at again these particulars of how to pray. And we think that this is the magical formula to get God to do what we want him to do. And that's not what this is about. This is about following in obedience to what God says and then allowing God to bring the healing that is already in his plan, already in his will. Now, now make no mistake about it. The scripture says that our prayers do touch the heart of God, that we can change the heart of God, that, that he is influenced by our prayers. But we also have to recognize that God is sovereign and that his plan is better than ours. And so as we come together... He says that we're to do this with the elders of the church. He doesn't just say, go find a faith healer or go find one person. Now, I believe, again, just a few people can do this, just as good as many. But he specifically says to gather the elders of the church. In other words, a group of people, not just one. And then the, the um, anointing oil is used. Now, for those of you that are wondering about the oil and what the significance of that is, in the Old Testament, oil was often used in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it was used to anoint people that God had chosen for a very specific purpose. For instance, the kings of Israel would have been anointed by the prophets as a sign that God had chosen them to be the next king. In other words, it's a sign of being set apart by God for a specific purpose. But oil was also used in the Old Testament as a medicine. They would often pour oil on people's wounds or sores, and it had healing properties that it would go through. And, and so it was used as a sign of health and healing, as well as a sign of God's anointing and, and his plan and his will for the rest of your life. And so when you put those two things together, what you get is this idea that, that we need to, one, use the, the things that are available to us as human beings with the common sense God gave us to try to bring that health and bring that healing um, with with what God has given us up here in our brains. So we should not necessarily shy away from that which God has given us to, to try to heal, but that we should depend on God while doing our very best to use the tools that God has given us to heal people. So it's not something that we do in opposition to medical science per se. Um, rather, we're using one of the things that, that in the Old Testament was one of their chief medicines that they used. And so it's symbolic in a lot of ways of not only God's blessing, not only God's plan, not only God's anointing and the presence of his spirit, but it's also a symbol that, that sometimes we use the means that God has given us to try to bring about that healing. So for those of you that maybe are tempted at times, to not use modern medicine because God can heal. I want to applaud you for your faith. But at the same time, indicate that in the Old Testament, not only did they depend on God for healing, but they used the tools that were available to them also. In other words, God is in favor of common sense. He's in favor of us using the intellect that God has given us. Make no mistake about it, though, the credit for the healing, whether it comes through medicine or whether it comes through miraculous means, is certainly 
for God. God is the one who created us and gave us the ability to figure this stuff out, and he is also the one who brings miraculous healing at times when we might least expect it. And so he, he basically gives us these forms. We're to bring the elders together. We're to lay hands on, which again was a signal and a sign of God's spirit being present and the blessing that God has to bestow upon us. And then basically, if, if we do this, he says the prayer of faith can make you well or will make you well. And then he goes on to start this other conversation and talks about how your sins will be forgiven in the process. Now, this is kind of a strange thing. It, it's kind of tough for us to figure out what in the world is he talking about here. First, he's talking about healing, and then he just makes this transition right into the idea of your sins being forgiven. And there's a couple different things um, that people sometimes think about that. Sometimes people think that, that maybe he's talking specifically about being healed of some kind of sickness that was the result or the consequence of a specific sin. And I've heard people try to make a case for the fact that that's what, uh, the fact that that's what James is talking about. Um, some people believe that, that he's saying you can't be healed of sickness unless you've first been forgiven of your sins, unless you first repent. And I know there are some people who believe that, that that's what he's trying to say. There are others who might be um, believing that, that um, if you are healed, then that means that you've already been forgiven of your sins, which is kind of the other side of, of that first belief. And to be perfectly honest, I think that he starts this conversation with healing and, and moves to the area of forgiveness for a very specific reason. Because I believe that, that when healing comes, it is a sign of something bigger and greater that's happening in your life than just your physical body being healed. Let me tell you something. I believe that Jesus came to establish his kingdom when he came the first time. Now, again, some churches don't believe this. Some churches believe differently. You are welcome to your belief. But in the church of God, we believe that the kingdom of heaven came with Jesus when he came the first time. And that he established that kingdom in the hearts of his followers. And that that kingdom will one day see its full expression when he returns and takes us home to heaven. But I believe that when a person is miraculously healed, that is a sign that the kingdom of heaven has broken through into our world, into a miraculous way, and we're seeing a sign of the kingdom to come in our everyday lives. But I don't believe that healing, divine healing, is the only sign that the kingdom of heaven is breaking through in our lives. You know what else I believe is a sign of that? I believe that forgiveness is a sign of that. I believe that when I repent and, and I ask God for forgiveness and he forgives my sins and pulls that burden off my shoulders and allows me to live a life that is free from the burden of that sin, that that too is a sign of the kingdom of heaven crashing into our existence, putting aside the rules of man, and basically showing its face in our midst today. You remember, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Friends, when miraculous healing happens, that is a sign that the kingdom has broken through into our world. Is that not exciting? I really wish I could have heard that amen you just said. I know you did by faith. I believe that you did. I believe this is so exciting because when we see God at work in the lives of human beings, recreating us into his image, that is a sign that the kingdom is coming through. And let me tell you what I believe. I believe that healing is a sign of that kingdom because healing is basically God restoring what once was. 
I believe forgiveness is a sign of the kingdom because I believe that God's forgiveness and his work through Christ to forgive us of our sins is a sign of restoring what originally was. God's intent for us was to live as perfect, healthy individuals who had no blocks, no roadblocks to, his, to the relationship that he has with us. Eden was what God planned for us. The Garden of Eden perfect relationship with him with no sickness no disease no sin in our lives none of the consequences and when we see divine healing happen and when we see people who are forgiven we see that as God's restoring work where he puts things back the way that they should be and friends that is exciting because that is his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven And so it makes sense that James would put these two things together because both of them are signs that God's kingdom is at work in our lives. He uses the example of Elijah, or I'm sorry, yeah, Elijah. Almost thought I had the wrong guy. There's Elijah and Elisha, you know, because the Bible likes to make things confusing for us um, just for the fun of it. Elijah in the Old Testament, the the instance that um, James refers to here, basically Elijah, because of the, the sins of the nation of Israel and specifically the king and the queen who did not follow the Lord and did not do what he asked, Elijah prayed that no rain would fall in the nation of Israel. And for three and a half years, they had a drought. And the king was, you know, just completely um, obsessed with destroying Elijah and tried to track him down and kill him and had no luck. But the nation was in such dire straits that, that finally this experience happened where Elijah challenged all of the prophets of Baal, whom the king and the queen were worshiping, to this duel. And some of you may have read this from, from the book of, uh, Sec- I believe it's in 2 Kings. Um, anyway, they, they basically they face off on this mountain and they have this big showdown and, and the, the, whoever's God is the strongest is supposed to send fire down from heaven and light the altar. Maybe some of you went to Sunday school that's starting to click there. And basically the prophets of Baal try to get their God to, to light the altar and of course nothing happens because their God wasn't real. He was just made up. He was part of their imagination. And, and then Elijah steps forward and the fire comes falling from heaven and consumes the altar and, and suddenly there's this grand victory and all of Israel falls on their knees and repents before God. And then Elijah at that point prays that God would send the rains again and, and the rains begin to fall in the nation as a way of healing the land. And so this example that he gives us is again an example of not only forgiveness but of healing and restoration because you see the the um, illness so to speak that Israel was experiencing was a drought a lack of rain and for Elijah to pray that prayer and invite the rains to once again come was essentially him inviting God to heal the land of Israel but it couldn't happen and it didn't happen until the repentance came from the people of Israel And so the example that he gives us continues to teach us that that this whole idea of God's kingdom coming through leads us not only in the direction of forgiveness from God, but also in the direction of him being able to set right that which is wrong in our lives. And part of that, my friends, is healing. Now again, let's not fall prey to some of the temptations of this. We dare not say that if a person isn't healed, that they weren't forgiven. We dare not say that because that is not our place to judge. Nor should we say that in order to be healed, a person has to be forgiven. Because I know people whom God has healed, and it is because of that healing that they came to know Jesus as their Savior. God can work in any way that He chooses. Let me say that again. God can work in any way that He chooses, and it is our job 
to submit to his plan and his will. James is simply stating that the works of healing and the works of forgiveness often accompany each other because those are the signs that God's kingdom is breaking through. And again, that to me is so exciting. And then he ends the passage with a discussion of the restoration of those who have wandered away. And again, some people set this little verse aside and say, well, that's another section. He's simply talking about some people that left the church or that wandered away or whatever. But I believe it's all rolled in together. Because what James is trying to say basically is that any person who walks away needs to be brought back. And he says that the person who brings them back saves them not only from death, but also brings about the forgiveness of many sins. And in the Greek, it literally says they're, they're bringing them back covers many sins. Now, this same language is used in a couple other different places in Scripture. Um, if, if you look in the Greek, it literally says to cover a multitude of sins. And in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, he says this, um, the Scripture says this, Hatred stirs up strife, but love, what? Covers all transgressions. There's another spot in 1 Peter 4, 8, where he says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And so we have this, this verbiage from James which says that if you can restore a person to the kingdom, if you can restore them to the church, if you can help them not to, to, to wander away but rather to come back to the faith, then that will cover a multitude of sins. And then we have this other language in the rest of the scripture which I believe gives us a good indicator of how we do that. How do you restore someone who has walked away? How do you help them come back to the faith? Well, friends, I think that, that you must confront them with truth, but you also have to remember that love covers a multitude of sins, that, that even if you can't have the conversation perfectly, even if you can't do it the right way, even if you don't have the words in the moment, that if you will just love them, that that will cover a multitude of their sins. And friends, the best thing we can do if we see a brother or a sister in Christ wandering away from the faith is to go to that person and to love them with everything that is in us and to declare to them as best we can in love the truth that God has given us to proclaim. But you know what? There's more than one way to skin a cat, so to speak. I don't know why that, that uh, statement kind of came into being. I don't know why we talk about skinning cats. That seems kind of disgusting to me. But there's more than one way to do it, apparently. And if you don't want to see someone leave the faith, and I believe this brings us back to James' initial reason for writing this book this people who are maturing in christ people who are growing up in their faith people who are not content to sit and let somebody else speak truth into them all the time but are willing to go out and, and eat for themselves and and learn on their own and grow in their faith by their own effort and not just by the effort of others people that are willing to to grow in their understanding of who god is and also employ god's wisdom in understanding how to live that out people who are maturing in their faith in christ very seldom walk away from that faith now again, that's, that's not an absolute, but I believe it's a principle. And so if you want to keep people from wandering away, if you want to redeem your brothers and sisters in Christ from wandering away from their faith, one of the best things you can do is invest yourself now into helping them grow in their faith, in their knowledge, in their understanding, and in the wisdom that they have about how to live this Christian life. One of the best ways you can keep someone from wandering away from their faith is to invest in them growing up and becoming the kind of person, the kind of believer that, that God wants them to 
to grow into. And, and if you're worried about someday losing your, your way in this journey of faith that you have, one of the best ways that you can keep from doing that is to grow in your faith in Christ and to not be content to stay a child in the faith. Don't be content just letting Pastor Jeff feed you each week. Eat on your own. Eat a snack once in a while. Pull out the word and read it. Spend some time in prayer on your own. Get together with somebody else and discuss what the scripture means. Um, talk about these sermons if you want to. Talk about how I screwed it up or how wrong I was. I don't care what you talk about, but talk about it. Because in discussing what you hear and what you read and what you learn from God, you will grow up in your faith. And then most importantly, do what James really wrote this whole book about, and that is put your faith into action. Listen, you can't get bored with your faith, which is quite frankly the reason a lot of people wander away. You can't get bored with your faith if you're busy living it out. I'm going to say that again. You cannot get bored with Christianity if you are so busy serving God and serving others that you don't have time to get bored. I'm here to tell you one of, one of the biggest things that's going to be a downfall of this COVID thing is we're all training ourselves to sit around and do nothing. I, I catch myself doing this. Netflix has gotten a lot more of my time than it should have over this whole COVID thing. And I'm telling you right now, I've got to find a way to correct that because we're essentially training ourselves to sit around and, and not go out and do things and not go out and help people and not go out and be a part of other people's lives. And friends, I'll tell you what, when this thing is over, if we don't make deliberate efforts to get back to where we were and be involved in each other's lives again and serve in organizations and in situations where people need us, we will become couch potatoes like no world has ever seen in the past. And friends, for years, I'm going to be a little short right now, for years this has been happening in the church. You know what? It's the church's fault to some degree because we've made it easy for you to sit and listen instead of being the, I, I, involved in the process. We've made it, we've made it the, the big popular thing to come on Sunday morning and sit and listen and watch instead of participating in what is happening. And I know that this COVID thing isn't helping and that's one of the reasons I'm anxious to get back together as a group so that we can once again worship together because I want you to learn once again. But you know what? Just being here in a pew isn't participating necessarily. You need to come ready to sing. You need to come ready to testify. You need to come ready to have conversations with the people in the other pews and, and to learn what they're going through and to help them through their faith. You need to come ready to walk out of this place and be willing to touch base with the people People you talk to on Sunday and follow up with them and see if they're still doing okay even though it's not Sunday it's time for us to grow up as followers of Jesus and friends if we don't learn to grow up there will come a point where we will be in danger of walking away from our faith because as everyone knows if we do the same thing over and over again long enough you get bored with it and you walk away Listen, I've learned this as a basketball coach. If practice looks the same every single day, my players don't play. They get bored with it. They, they, get, they think, I've got this covered. I've already done it. I already know this. I've already lived it. I've already done it. And they just basically go through the motions. And friends, I do not want to be a part of a generation of Christianity that went through the motions and forgot to play. We need as a church and as a nation to learn how to grow up in our faith again. And that means we need to take responsibility for our own faith and our own growth.
Friends, I want to pray for you at the end of this series. And the prayer that I pray will be a little bit specific today. But I hope that it speaks to someone because I believe that there are many of you out there that need to hear the very thing that God has been talking to me about this week. So let's pray together and let me pray for you as we close today. God, I, I want to play, pray this morning for so many people that I have talked to both as a part of this church and even as a part of the churches I've served in the past. Lord, one of the great things about COVID and us being online is that I saw online before I got up here some of the people I used to pastor a long time ago, people who put up with me when I was just a kid. Lord, I just want to say to the church at large, not just this church, but all the churches that I've served and all the people that, that we know as a church and everybody who might be tuning into this either today or even five years from now as it sits out there on the internet. I want to say to them, we need to grow up in Christ. And I want to pray for them that you would put within us a passionate desire to grow in our faith. That we would maybe come back and revisit James. That you would give us that desire, Lord. That you would remind us regularly that, that James is not a book about making us feel better. But that James has hard words to say about who we are as followers of Jesus. That James has things to say about how we grow up and become mature productive adults in the faith. Lord, we can recognize someone who refuses to grow up in our physical world around us. We, in fact, we joke about it. We have sitcoms about it. It's, it's kind of the, the joke of our society that there are people who are, you know, 40 years old and still living in mom's basement who never quite get to that point of becoming responsible for themselves. We laugh about it. But Lord, there's nothing more tragic in Christianity than than Christian believers who never quite made it out from under their parents' faith, who never quite reached out and grasped the faith for themselves, who are still living on the, the shirt tails of somebody else's faith. And, and Lord, there are people in our church who are the, the spiritual leaders of their families, Lord. I, I think of Norma Krantz. I, I think of, of other people that I've known over the years. Dorothy Yoder at my past church, whom I mentioned last week. I I think of people like the Mossinies back in Defiance, Ohio, and, and the Grimes and others, Lord, who were just spiritual leaders in their church. And, and I know that their whole families look to them for faith. And there's nothing wrong with that unless we're letting their faith be our faith. Father, each and every one of us has to take hold of our faith. We need to learn to, to grow on our own and not just wait for somebody else to do it for us. Lord, we, we live in a generation where people church hop and, and church shop like it's a buffet. We go to that place that makes us feel the best. Or maybe if we're sadists that make us feel the worst. Lord, I pray that it would not be about a feeling any longer. But that we would be willing to step up and grow in our faith. Dig in and live our faith before a lost and dying world that so desperately needs our faith. Father, our, our mission statement as a church is to grow in faith, serve people together. I believe that's a mission statement that still speaks to us. 
I believe that as we grow in our faith, it should naturally lead us to serve others. And if it doesn't, I don't believe we're growing. We might be growing in knowledge, we might be growing in understanding, but our wisdom is not yet there because we're not serving other people because of the growth that we have. Lord, if we're serving, then we will do that as a unit, as a body, together with the brothers and sisters in Christ that you've given us. And yet, what we often do when we're together is we just fight with each other. We allow ourselves to become divided. And everybody knows that a divided house cannot stand. Pray that, Lord, our nation, 